Well, it is a privilege to be here. This is my first time this year being at Saturday Wellspring, and I miss being with you women. And one of the um, disadvantages for me is I don't get to meet the uh, newer people or, um, to Grace, and so uh, that's kind of a bummer. So if if I haven't met you, what, I mean that's kind of awkward. But would you just come and introduce yourself and and let me have the privilege of getting to know you uh, today or whenever? Um, but I do have a question. Will you raise your hand if this is your very first year of taking Wellspring? Okay. Good, good. This lesson that we're going to talk about this morning is um, not new to Wellspring. We've taught it, I think, every year. Yeah. And so, but it is, um, as I studied this lesson, it's like such a great reminder and comfort for my soul. And um, just in a world that seems to be getting darker and darker, it's the truth of God's word that we need our hearts to know and that we need to believe and embrace, right? So, um, I would like to go before the Lord once again. Okay. <clears throat> Father, um, we do praise you for the good news of the gospel. Um, we were rebels and we hated you, and in your kindness and in your mercy, you saved us. <sighs> thank you. Thank you for loving us. And we love you because you first loved us. And Father, I thank you that now... We have your precious word, and we have your spirit, and we have your great promises in your word, um, and we have one another. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would be um, hearers of your word, that we would be, our hearts would be soft, our hearts would be teachable, um, and that we would, as we look at your word and we see your design, um, uh, to, and that we would love your rule, all for your glory. And Lord, help us to be eager to align our lives with your word. Lord, uh, it's, it's possible that um, women are here distracted from the things of the morning or circumstances in their life. And I pray, Lord, that we all would just take a pause and focus and hear um, from your word what you would have us hear. And that we would um, leave here this morning just women who just love you more. And I need your help, and so help me to speak clearly um, and communicate well and not be a distraction. And Lord, I, we love you, and uh, we commit the morning to you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're uh, going to do what we always do at Wellspring. So go ahead and turn your notebooks over, and we're going to look at the disciplines this morning. <clears throat> we're going to talk about why we're here. We're here, our purpose. We're here to equip and encourage one another. We're here to equip and encourage one another, the women of Grace Bible Church, to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with his word, with the word of God, so that um, we live gospel-transformed lives. So that we live gospel-transformed lives. And then what does God do in that? Do you see that? It's a big deal. It strengthens the church and its gospel purpose, right? That's, that's good. It's a big deal. And we're here because we want to understand and grow and unite our lives around these spiritual disciplines. And at Wellspring, you know, we focus on three concerning our hearts, our home, and ministry. So let's look at discipline one, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God 
through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Now remember, when we say heart, what are we talking about, biblically speaking? Do you remember? We're talking about our inner man, our inner man, all of you. Not talking about the heart that pumps, but we're talking about um, all of you. We're talking about our mind and our emotions and our desires, our will. Everything we do is shaped and controlled by what our heart desires. Now, the good news is that God uh, transformed our hearts when he saved us. We're new creatures. We have peace with God, and we didn't want that before. He's given us new desires as believers, and we are united with Christ. That was all accomplished once and for all by God. Remember that one-time event? The one-time event. And now we're being renewed day by day in progressive sanctification. There's still that residue of indwelling sin in our new hearts, right? The good news is sin is no longer our master. No longer. But we still, um, there's still this lingering effect, this residue. And, um, but we thank God we're not who we once were. We once were dead, and we were lost, and we were hopeless. That was the condition of our inner man before he intervened and saved us. And we're not yet where we won't battle with sin. That's heaven. So while we're here, while we're in this mixed condition, it's necessary to care for these hearts, to feed and strengthen our new hearts, our new inner man in Christ. It's important that we worshipfully pursue God through his word with an expression of love for him and a need for Jesus. It takes discipline. It takes discipline that worship takes place when you read your Bible, when you open it up, right? It's, it's just something that we'll work on and that we'll try to um, persevere in probably our whole lives. But his word tells us who he is, who we are, what he's done, how he wants us to respond. Our hearts need to be exposed to him and his word so that we can draw near to the one whom we've been united to, Jesus, and treasure him above all. And we do have to be purposeful and disciplined. These are disciplines to grow in. We're not perfect in them. This is a lifelong pursuit. So you know what? I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're discouraged in this, you think, you know, here I go again. I have failed in meeting with him regularly, regularly, daily in his word. Kind of feel like a failure. Well, you know what? Thankfully, God's love for us isn't dependent on our failures or successes, right? <laughs> Amen. It's only based on his finished work on the cross. So let that be your motivation to worship him in, in his word. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Stand. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, discipline two. Let's look at discipline two. Discipline two is about our household relationships. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God, or with her heart for God and the gospel. So the first place we make an impact with our hearts for God and his word is where we live our homes, regardless of season of life. Seasons change, 
right? Yes. Um, whether we're empty nesters, whether we're single, whether we're married, with children, without children, whether you're living with your parents and siblings or those coming into our home as we shepherd our hearts first and as we're drawing near to him and as we're in this ongoing sanctification, we want to place a priority on our household relationships right there where God has us. So it's, um, it's, it's, we want to place a priority on making a gospel impact um, with those we live with, those who come into our homes. Um, we don't want to neglect those relationships. It can be easy to do, neglect the ones that are around us the most if we're not purposeful. So it's good to ask, what kind of impact, what kind of influence do you have in those relationships? We impact those relationships, right? Are we having a gospel influence? Are we having a gospel impact? Are we repenting? Are we forgiving? Are we loving? Are we humbly serving? Are we overlooking offenses? Are we preferring others? Are we growing in that? be very sobering, isn't it? So please be encouraged. This too is a lifelong process. (laughs) It doesn't happen because (laughs) we just want it to either, right? Um, Again, it takes being purposeful with our own hearts first. That's why we talk so much about our hearts, about discipline one. So uh, we need to see these relationships as a priority. And discipline three is about ministry, where she ministers to others. As we continue to grow in these disciplines, we don't want to wait until we have them mastered, right? Because we never will have them mastered. But as we're being faithful and uh, pursuing and as we're growing, well, you minister to others in the church and outside of the church to a lost world with the very same thing with a heart for God and the gospel, and fulfilling your ministry within your household. That's disciplines one and two. You step into the church or wherever God puts you to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So there are your disciplines. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at what God's word says about womanhood. I'm just wondering... I I ask this question every year, but I'm wondering, Sarah, (laughs) so sweet. Okay, well, let me ask this question while she's doing that. How many of you have given much thought to the topic of biblical womanhood? You know, God's design for women? Yes? I hope those of you that's taken well-screen a lot of time really thinking. Thank you. That was pretty smooth. Thank you so much. Can relax. <laughs> well, do you think that maybe some of what we believe about our womanhood or femininity is based on or maybe influenced by our culture and not based on scripture. Our culture today has so much to say about this topic of womanhood. There's no shortage of opinions regarding questions like, what does it mean to be a woman? Who decides 
what a woman even is. How can, uh, what can a woman do? What should a woman do? How is a woman different uh, than a man? How is she the same? How should a woman relate to men or to other women? How do our gifts and abilities and trainings fit with who we are as women in our society? And you know, our culture is doing all that it can to influence us to agree, even at times demanding that we agree with its opinions on things like female superiority, its rebellion and confusion regarding marriage, gender roles, gender identity. It's all over social media, on blogs and Facebook posts. It's in Hollywood. It's on TV shows and in our entertainment. It's in our colleges and universities. It's in our educational system now, starting at elementary school. It's in children's books and clubs. You've seen it? Recently, same-sex marriage was legalized nationwide. It was being promoted at the White House. Remember, the White House was lit up in rainbow colors. It was celebrated. Sex changes are becoming more commonplace. Not only that, they're being celebrated, and those who are doing so are being called heroes. There's gender-neutral schools allowing children to choose whatever gender they prefer to be. There's transgender policies in schools and sports now. There's a public school in Canada that I was just reading about that, um, we're talking public school, that is um, no longer allowing teachers and staff to identify um, parents, mothers and fathers, as uh, mother and father. They want them to refer to them as parents. Um, and they want to not, they no longer want to refer to the children um, as he or she, but they'll call the children your you know, student. So they're kind of erasing all of that, right? Many in our society want uh, male and female to be negotiable. We want the right to adjust or alter gender however they want, and they are demanding that right. Listen, whether it's a message of equal rights, whether it's a message of men bashing, or of unlimited freedoms to express sensuality and sexuality, it's what's saturating our culture, and it's being celebrated by our culture, and it's a full-on rebellion against God. But you know what? I was completely rebellious as well until God intervened. We all were, right? I needed a new heart. We needed new hearts, but God in his mercy, he gave me, he gave us a new heart with new desires. And that changed the way we're to think about these things and live. So let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind as we think about this. And and let's love and pray for others. Let's pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are so confused and those who are rebelling against God's design. That God in his mercy would intervene too. That That they would humble themselves and repent and turn.
and that he would save those who don't know him as well. And we can be that light. Okay? So we need to be careful. We just need to be careful to see where our culture has embraced ideas that completely deny our creator's perfect design so that we're careful to think biblically. That's what we want to do. We want to think biblically. John Piper and Wayne Grudem write this, and they wrote it several years ago. I think it sums it up, and it's on your notes. The tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the unique significance of our maleness or femaleness. But this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It's taking a tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or a woman. Confusion over the meaning of sexual personhood today is epidemic. The consequence of this confusion is not a free and happy harmony among gender-free persons, which is totally what they're after. They think they're you know, going to be happy and fulfilled. The consequence, rather, is more divorce, more homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more emotional distress, and suicide that comes with the, God, with the loss of God-given identity. This is the world we live in. This is where godlessness and exaltation of self against God has taken us. And you know, it may be very close to some of you. I don't know. But I do know that would be hard. It would be very difficult, very hard. So I want you to hear me when I say I'm here to encourage and speak truth to help us gain a strong biblical understanding of God's design for us. I hope you know, with humility and compassion. What I am saying certainly is not politically correct, right? It's not politically correct at all, but that's okay because we want to be biblically correct. And so we need to know what God's Word says. He is our creator. And as our creator, he alone has the right to rule us. He created us in his own image, male and female, and he's the only one who can tell us his purpose and his design for us as women or men. And you know, in the past, truths like these um, about gender, about marriage, they were generally caught. You know, we really didn't have to be as purposeful to teach. But now, we must be intentional. We must be intentional and and intentionally uh, teach these things. Things have changed. Our children need to be taught and shepherded toward thinking and acting biblically about their identity as girls and boys so they understand God's the one who reveals his design for us. So critical. It's so critical that we ground our, um, that we are grounded in deep-centered, gospel-centered theology about God's design for gender, and about God's design for marriage. We can't assume that the people in our church have a biblical framework for understanding these things. Because what kind of people does God save? (laughs) He saves sinners. Yeah, he saves sinners like you and like me. Sinners who may very well be saturated into the same lies of the culture. And just as he's teaching us from his word, and he's changing us, 
He's changing our thinking to be more and more in alignment with his will. We have the privilege of being his instrument to help others to see how beautiful his design is. So we need to know and we need to humbly speak and live out clearly what the Bible teaches about womanhood, about marriage, about gender identity without fear. Even though we may be persecuted, we probably will be persecuted for speaking that truth. But we do it, and we do it in love, and we do it with conviction from God's word. We need to teach our sons and our daughters, the next generation, there's so much at stake. So this morning we're going to survey scripture where we will see God doing two things throughout his sufficient and inerrant word that cannot be separated. And throughout your outline, you will see this. You will see spiritual equality, that men and women are spiritually equal before God and each other. And then we will look at uh, role differentiation or different roles. We're talking about the distinctions and differences between roles of men and women in our families and in the church. Men and women are spiritually equal before God. And we have different roles in our families and in the church. And on your outline, you'll, you'll see that in three segments. We're going to look at the Old Testament, and then we'll look at Jesus' treatment of women, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look more into the New Testament. <clears throat> it's so important to understand this. These two biblical realities are inseparable. The reality that men and women are spiritually equal before God and others, and we have distinct and different roles. And this is called the complementarian view. And we embrace this complementarian view because that's how God has revealed it in Scripture. And we embrace this view because of the amazing revelation that biblical manhood and biblical womanhood brings into this dark culture, into this dark world. Listen, the world is pursuing freedom and joy, and fulfillment, and equality. That's why the whole feminist movement started. That's what they were pursuing. And we are only going to find it. We're only going to find freedom and joy, not in casting off his design, but by embracing his perfect design. Our true joy is found when our whole pursuit is making God more clearly known. So we want to humbly embrace whatever God has given us to make him more visible. We must not look to our culture to find our identity. Our feelings are not going to help us discover our purpose. Sweet Elizabeth Elliot says this, in order to learn what it means to be a woman, we must start with the one who made her. So let's turn to Genesis, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26, sorry. I'm going to cry out Look at Genesis uh, 1, 26. And we're on your outline, and we're starting um, uh, 
In the Old Testament, do you see that? Do you see where we are, number one, on the outline? Now, from the very beginning, we see in Scripture that men and women are equally created in the image of God. Starting in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are his design. Male and female were created in the image of God. Neither one has more or less of God's image than the other. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, in chapter 1 of Colossians, and uh, verse 15, Paul says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus. We can look to Jesus to see what that image is. And what did that, uh, what did it look like for Jesus to bear the image of God? He says in Philippians 2.6, who although he existed in the form of God, Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus existed in the form of God, and form is a similar word to image. So he existed in the image of God, and then he didn't regard that unity, that equality with God as something to be grasped after. Verse 7 says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? What did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not promote himself. He didn't fight for his rights. But rather here we see in verse 7, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. This is interesting. Being in the form of God led him to take on the form of a slave. So we see in Jesus that the image of God is that of serving. It's not grasping for yourself or your ideas or your rights or your own self-definition or self-promotion but of humbly giving yourself away like a slave does. And Jesus confirmed this when he says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather, what did he say in Mark 10? He came to serve. The Son of Man, Jesus, came to serve. And how did he serve? He gave his life away for many. <clears throat> So that's the kind of image, that's the kind of image in which men and women were created to bear. Um, it's this kind of image, this self, uh, kind of self-giving love in Christ. So, we're spiritually equal before God and others. Now, however, men and women have also been equally impacted and corrupted by sin. After man was created in God's image in Genesis 1, right around the corner in Genesis 3, 
sin enters the world, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, it's all about God's majesty, his awesome power, his perfect design and abundance. We can't even relate to that, to humanity that's perfectly innocent. Unfortunately, we can relate to chapter 3, right? I think you read that in your homework. Yeah. So we go from his majesty and wonders in chapters 1 and 2 to more familiar territory. The serpent came and slandered God. And Eve's heart was enticed away from being a self-giving or from uh, being self-giving to being a self-grasper, tarnishing the display of God's image in her. That's what we do. That's what we do when we live for ourselves. We, when we grasp self-rule instead of trusting God's rule. So Eve sinned. And then Adam gave in. And two self-graspers obscured the image of God in them. And we've all been plagued by that ever since. So men and women are, are uh, <clears throat> created in the image of God. And men and women are equally impacted and corrupted by sin's presence and sin's power. And men and women are both equally unable to change their sinful condition, both equally in need of salvation. One is not more in the image of God than the other, and one is not more spiritually bankrupt than the other. We're spiritually equal. But there are differences in our roles that God has for us. And we're on B, on your outline, role differentiation. Now let's look at Genesis uh, 2, 18. Turn there, starting there. And uh, we're, and we're going to see uh, where God shows us his purpose in creating the woman. Beginning in verse 18. Then, God, then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. It was Adam who was created first, then Eve. God created man for a particular task, and he needed a helper. Adam was incomplete without someone to compliment him in fulfilling the task of taking dominion over the earth. So God created Eve. Adam didn't need another Adam. He needed someone who was different. He needed Eve. So right here we already see the differing roles before the fall, before sin entered the world. Even the order they were created is linked to different roles, but it does not affect our spiritual equality at all. So God created man first, then the woman. God has an order in mind as he created, an order that Paul will repeatedly appeal to in the New Testament. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. See, there's an order there. Now, God always established that men would be in leadership roles right from the beginning. We see in Israel, men were responsible for the national and religious leadership from the garden to the final prophets. There's Adam and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, um, and the rest of the kings of the final, uh, the priesthood of Israel and the prophets of the nation. And women were also active in the religious life of the nation. There's Miriam and Huldah, they were prophetesses, and Deborah was a judge. But what we do not have an account for in the Old Testament is significant. There were never any women priests, never any heads of tribes or kings. It's important. Remember, man and woman, they already had their roles prior to the fall. Their roles were not introduced as punishment because of the fall, though you may hear that out there. It's not true. We see in Scripture our roles are not God's punishment for sin at all. The distortion of our roles didn't start when God pronounced the curse to women in Genesis 3. It started in the very beginning of chapter 3. We, so, see, we find Eve, she's in this conversation with the serpent, the tempter. He's evil, and he's deceptive. She believed his lie, that if she gave in, she would become wise, and that God was keeping something from her. So, she disobeyed God, and she, she gave it to her husband, and he rebelliously ate. So, we already see, who's Eve even listening? Who's Eve listening to? Who is she trusting in? trusting in herself, in her own wisdom. Let's think about Eve. What was her sin? See if you can identify with any of this. I know I, I can. Independence, self-grasping, self-reliance. What was she doing listening to the serpent anyway? She trusted in her own judgment. She's getting out from under God's authority, out from under her husband's leadership and protection, and seeking to satisfy herself, rebelling against God. At that point, was Eve bearing God's image as a servant, self-giving love? Was she fulfilling her role as a helper to Adam? How does it honor God? How does it honor God's right? to define her role. And you know what, Adam? He certainly had his part, and he is fully responsible as well. But in a world previously untouched by sin, Eve believed the lie that she could trust in herself, or anything, or anybody other than God. And as we live in this mixed condition, right now, thankfully this side of the cross, this is this can be familiar to us as well. So let's take a pause and try to see where we might see this in our own hearts. Just like Eve. I don't know. We may independently step out from the protection and leadership God has provided for us and over us. If you're married, maybe your husband, or maybe bosses, parents, 
our governments, our church leaders. If married, we may independently step out from our husband's protection and leadership to seek control over him. Now, we may do that by taking charge, seeking to control or exert our own will, stepping outside of God's design and falling into the same deception and sin as Eve. And you may be thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure I don't try to control my husband, you know, but it can show up in various ways, subtle ways. For some of us, trying to control, just think about this, maybe a quiet, silent treatment. Anybody ever given a silent treatment? Sometimes that hostility can uh, look like, can take on an attitude of coldness or indifference. With others, it's a shouting hostility that isn't so much of a secret to anybody. For some of us, we have a way of just bulldozing others, right over others with our words. Does that show up in your household? This is what sin does. Sin is what distorts our God-given differentiation of roles. And it's good. It's good to see it. It's good to identify it and deal with it. You know why God gave us roles? Because he has something to communicate through them. And sin's motive is to destroy that image through undoing the roles that God has for us. Sin distorts our God-given role differences. When Adam and Eve, Eve sinned, there were consequences. They forfeited life in the goodness of the garden. They traded unhindered fellowship with God. There's pain in childbirth. No part of life from birth to the grave has been left untouched by the corruption of sin. Adam and Eve were the first ones to sin, but we're no different. See, equal rights, men, gender, it's not the problem like the world would have us think. We need to understand and acknowledge that our problem truly is sin. Sin warps everything. Sin is the reason we need a Savior. Okay, welcome back. So that, we just looked at the Old Testament um, on spiritual equality, right? Um, in the Old Testament, and now we are just going to keep going. Oh, first I wanted to tell you, you have this handout, and I, I skipped it. It's in my notes. I skipped it, but you have this handout, um, Conviction Number 7, Biblical uh, Manhood and Womanhood in Our Church. This is a Grace Bible Church's Biblical convic- Conviction. You can find it on the um, web link. There's a web link here on our site, and you, or you've got it now, but... Um, I'm basically just going over this, this biblical, biblical conviction from Grace Bible Church. But it's good to have that just refer back to. All right. Now we are going to um, look at how Jesus emphasizes the exact same thing, spiritual equality. There's this consistent pattern. This is God's plan from way back, and it's continuing to grow. And we're on number two on your outline. Number two. And we're going to see uh, where Jesus dramatically emphasized 
a woman's spiritual equality with man um, in the midst of a woman demeaning Greek, Roman, and even Jewish culture. In that culture, women were possessions. They were even, uh, they would say they're not even worth teaching the Torah, God's word, to. In fact, they believed it was better to burn the Torah than to teach it to a woman. They claimed that by the very nature, women couldn't understand spiritual things. Men in Jesus' day normally would not um, allow women to even count change back into their hands for fear of physical contact. But Jesus dramatically countered this godless view of women. I think you looked at some of these um, in your homework. You did not look at these. Um, <laughs> but you should. <laughs> There's a resource in your notebook. Um, back in the back. Um, it's under discipline to the home, women in the Bible, um, women in the New Testament. So look some of those up later if you would like. Um, but these are some references that are on your outline. And we see in Matthew, Jesus uses illustrations and images familiar and useful for women. Jesus revealed himself as Messiah to women. When Chris taught the lesson on Mary and Martha, you saw that uh, Jesus taught Mary as she sat at his feet, which was so countercultural. Jesus touched women, and he allowed them to touch him. In Luke 8, Jesus allowed women to travel with him and his disciples. That was countercultural, too. And in John 20, Jesus revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene, and after he rose from the dead, remember sending her to tell the men, despite Jewish courts not allowing women to witness because they were considered liars. See, in Jesus' treatment of women, he showed them compassion and respect in a way they had never known in their culture. He did not demean women ever. All of this demonstrated their spiritual equality. Jesus at the same time did nothing to exalt women to a place of leadership over men. And what he also never did though he clearly could have, is to choose a woman to be among the twelve, right? That would have been maybe the perfect time to do that. Prime opportunity to change what God so far had revealed in the Old Testament. A time to establish a change for women's roles. But he didn't change women's roles. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't choose uh, women disciples? Well, because he affirms and he continues to uh, God's view and God's pattern for the role of women established way back at creation. And that leads us to number three on your outline, the rest of the New Testament, under spiritual equality. We know Galatians 3.28, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This is about redemption. Redemption involves no distinction between male and female. Salvation comes with no preference given to one gender over another, ever. And for example, on your outline in Acts 18, 
Priscilla and his wife Aquila, they ministered together. They equally served Apollos to build him up with more complete teaching on Christ to correct some doctrinal issues. In Philippians uh, 4, there's Odia and Sintuke, and they were both women, and they shared Paul's struggle in the cause of the gospel. We also uh, see that to both men and women receive spiritual gifts. In 1 Peter 3, the wife is the fellow heir of the grace of life. However, there are differences in roles. You know, it's so easy for us to see the gospel when we look at spiritual equality in the New Testament, right? It, we love that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We love that. We love that men and women have an equal need for Jesus. We have an equal cleansing in his blood. But this is so important to understand, ladies. The gospel is on display every bit as much in the different roles God has for us, for men and for women. He has designed different roles specifically for us in order that we participate together in displaying the gospel. We just have to keep remembering this. You know, what we see in the word is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It's not inspired by the culture of the day. You see... You see references on your outline where the different roles and responsibilities for men and women are described. And I'm just going to summarize them. To summarize them, we would say this. Um, leadership roles uh, For leadership roles of the church, the elders and deacons are offices filled by men. You know, we've been getting wonderful teaching from Titus 1 on this. As, as Scott's been teaching us, we've seen that it's these men who are primarily responsible for the teaching and protection of the body. This is God's design for displaying the love of Christ for his church. Men have this incredible responsibility to display Christ and his uh, loving servant leadership toward the body. Really think about what a responsibility they have. So it's a good time to take another pause to ask, and evaluate. Am I making that God-given role a joy for them? This role they have to serve us, to lead us, to protect us. Am I making it a joy for them or am I making it a burden? As we've been learning on, they would never say burden, but we need to be sure they love serving us. But as we've been learning on Sunday, our elders take their role very, very seriously. And I know you want to be a joy to them. Women, the roles and privileges that God has given us as women are about displaying the supportive and submissive character of the church in her relationship to her Savior. We respond and we follow the lead of our elders and deacons. We use the gifts and abilities and resources God has entrusted to us as we serve under their leadership and in cooperation with their leadership. You see why it's so important to be in a body that takes this role very seriously? We display the self-giving love of Christ. We bear his image as we participate, as we serve under their leadership. 
So when we serve in our ministries in the church, they're overseen by elders. Wellsprings overseen by an elder. Scott is the elder over Wellsprings, Scott Maxwell. And we love that. There's protection there. See, our elders, they love the Lord. They love his church, and they love and care for us, and they serve us in their leadership. So this is all about how God displays his love and his care and protection and his leadership for his people. And in marriage, we find the very same principles at work. Husbands have this, at times, difficult responsibility, this calling, to love their wives. How? Like Christ loved the church? Yeah. So another question. Let's take another pause. Do you see the high calling married women that our husbands have? So wives, how are you helping in that? I'm not talking about how they're doing. Do not let your minds go there. I'm not talking about them. Wives, how are you helping in that? As much as it depends on you, are you making it easy for them to love you like Christ loved the church, or are you hindering that? I ask it this way to my own heart. Am I being lovable? This responsibility for husbands to love wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, just think about that. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself to purchase us for himself. So if you're married, listen. If you're married, you can display your trusting submission to your Savior. To your Savior by submitting to your husband as to the Lord. We get to serve. We get to give ourselves away in that. So whether you're single or whether you're married, we all have the privilege of displaying and trusting uh, our trusting submission to the Lord by submitting to the authorities that God has over us. So whether it's a husband or whether it's parents or whether it's a boss or church leaders. See, when men and women fulfill their God-given roles, And we as women live in humble, respectful submission and support under our church leaders and under our husbands and other authorities. The word of God is honored. The gospel is put on display. We actually demonstrate to one another and to a watching world the relationship we were saved into at the cross. Jesus in relationship with his bride. This is good. This is why we embrace who God's created us to be because God has something to reveal about himself to us and to the world through not only our spiritual equality but also through our different roles. Do you see that? Think about the members of the Godhead for a minute. They each have different roles, right? Along with their divine equality. Scott talked about that not long ago. Think about this. Each of the three members of the Godhead reveal the image of God to be the self-giving love. Each of the three manifests the self-giving love toward one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father and gives himself over to the Father's will to redeem his people. The Spirit gives of himself 
to reveal the Son to his people, the Son takes on a different role from the Father without losing any uh, of the self-giving love, without losing any deity. So see, to diminish any one of their unique roles would cause us to miss something of who God is. So important. If we seek to erase our God-given roles, then we make the image of God within us less visible. We're image bearers. We're image bearers of the living God. Think about that for a minute. We're equal before the cross. He's given us different roles, differently divinely assigned roles. And when redeemed male and female live and work together as God intended, being conformed more into the image of Christ, it's beautiful. There's joy, and it's satisfying, and it's God-glorifying. So, I just want to encourage you. Let's grow. Let's encourage one another to embrace and love the roles he has for us because God will best be seen within us, within our marriages, within our families, within the church, and within our culture as we are obedient to him in the roles that he's given us and because it exalts God. And to not live up to the role God has given us as men and women, to cross role boundaries that God has for us, is to cloud the visibility of God in and through us as redeemed people. To send a distorted message to the lost world around us. He created, his created order is good. He took delight in it, and what did he say? He said, it's good. You can see his pleasure in what he's made. And it reflects his character. And as believing women, we can love it as well. Because it was given to us by our wise creator. Not only that, there is peace and purpose for the woman who shepherds her heart and her mind every day to embrace God's plan. And you know, because these are such critical images, Isn't it any wonder they're at the center of such a strong battle today? We shouldn't be surprised that Satan wants to wage war. Our flesh wants to wage war. The culture wants to wage war. But you know, God determines how we best glorify him. So we need to look at God's heart. At his heart for male and at his heart for female. We need to look at his heart for authority and his heart for leadership and bow. Look at all of it and say, you know what, God, you tell me how I best glorify you, and I will humbly bring myself in line with that. You're my creator. You have every right to rule and what uh, to rule what you have made, and your rule is good. And you know. If we're not grounding our lives and our thinking, if we're not shepherding our hearts in the word of God, if we don't understand what his word says, what it means to be a woman biblically, and how those roles are to function within our home and within our church and within our culture, then sooner or later, 
We will be vulnerable in our homes, in our churches, and in our culture to the very same kinds of thinking that's turned our secular world, our secular culture, upside down. Listen, your view of God will determine your view of every other aspect of your life. Theology matters. It matters. So we need to take this seriously because when we choose to live apart from his design, we distort the gospel picture and we miss the entire point of being a woman. The entire point of who he's created us to be. So every time I value my independence, Every time I value my life plans and my opinions over what would bring God glory in displaying his image of self-giving love, love, it is rebellion against God and who he's created me to be. The, you know, the truth apart from the gospel, the truth apart from who he has redeemed us uh, to be, it makes no sense, does it? It's foolishness to the world. None of life makes sense apart from the gospel, but it's our only motivator to live in the fullness of God's good plan and purposes. Titus 2 instructs us that older women are to teach the younger women and ladies. We need to be teaching our daughters and our sons God's design for them as male and female. They need to hear the truth from God's word, from creation, regarding biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, so they will recognize and reject the world's voice and can be confident in who God created them to be. And lastly, another loud competing voice from our culture, it's getting louder and louder, has been for years, but you know, there is nothing new under the sun, right? Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So we need to remember that. But a really loud voice in our culture is that of uh, sexuality and sensuality. We live in a culture of extremes, but sexuality and sensuality, big money sells. It's being marketed to us in every way. But as we look to God's word, we see in 1 Timothy 2.9 says that women are to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. How countercultural is that? We're called to be modest, discreet, self-controlled in our actions and how we dress. See, our attitude, our behavior, and our dress it's all a matter of worship. Romans 12.1 tells us that. 1 and 2, it's all a matter of worship. This is what John MacArthur says, and it's just impactful to me. He says, you show me a woman with a beautiful character. You show me a woman with a meek and quiet spirit. You show me a woman who has an incorruptible heart. You show me a woman who comes to worship God, and I'll show you a woman whose wardrobe you don't have to worry about because her heart dictates that issue. It always goes back to the heart, right? That's why we talk about discipline one so much. It all goes back to the heart. It's a matter of conviction. 
It's a matter of conviction. And what's our theme verse? Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard what? Your heart. The way we dress goes right to the heart of why we wear what we wear. So any discussion on modesty, it always begins there. It always begins with the heart. And the world's loud competing, competing voice to us is that we can make much of ourselves. Do that, right? Feel good about yourself. Flaunt. We can flaunt ourselves however we want. Flaunting certain features. That we have the right and the freedom to dress however we want to dress and expose whatever we want to expose. It's your body. If you don't like it, don't look kind of attitude, right? Isn't that the world? Don't you hear that? That's what the world would say. But it's just different for us. It's different for us. We are called and we have the privilege to display something way more glorious. Our Savior. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 19, says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Ladies, we're not our own. We were bought with a price. So glorify God in your life. <laughs> we see in 1 Peter 3 that our beauty, it doesn't come from outward adornment. That it should be the hidden person of the heart. There it is again. Hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. So, what should our aim be as women? If we profess Christ, our motivation for what we wear is to be distinct, is to be different from our culture's message. You know, while men are fully responsible before God for their mind, for their heart, for their eyes, guys can be stimulated visually. They just can by the things they see. Even when they don't want to look. Even when they're battling. And when we dress immodestly, it sends a visual message to a guy, whether we mean to or not. So, let's pause. Are we placing an obstacle in their way by how we dress? Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about going to great effort to help a brother not stumble in his walk with the Lord. So whether we understand it or not, we don't have to understand it. Whether we do or not, guys are in a battle. And you know, we have battles too, and some may be the very same thing. But it can be really intense for them. So we can help our brothers, and we can love them by dressing modestly. Somebody put it this way, and I just love it. Giving guys a rest for their eyes. <sighs> Giving guys a rest for their eyes. Doesn't that sound like something we want to do? If we know they're battling, ugh. So, questions we can ask. Um, are our clothes provocative? Are they seductive? Do they honor nakedness? What's the purpose of clothes? 
Closer to cover, yes. Not to draw attention to your naked skin, especially certain areas. I heard it put this way, and I love this. You can write it down if you want. Modesty is humility expressed in what we wear. Modesty is humility expressed in what we wear. It's a desire to honor God, and it's a desire to serve others, particularly men, and not promote or provoke sensuality or lust. I love this too. Modesty means you agree with the Lord about the true purpose of clothing and set aside self-interest to dress in a way that exalts Christ. You're like, uh, yeah, these clothes are to cover, and that's what I need to be doing. It's uncomfortable to talk about this, to stand up here and say these things, but you know, we're mature women. It really doesn't get talked about that much, but we need to, especially in an environment like this. You're my sisters in Christ, and we're mature women, and we need to get real. We just need to get real and talk about it and know what God's word says and what his heart is for us. But you know what? There are certain body parts that would be considered naked or that are for our husbands or future husbands or future possible husbands, eyes only. No one else's. Maybe the doctor's. (laughs) (laughs) Or the nurse's. (laughs) But that's it. Not for my husband's eyes. I'm only for my husband's eyes. Right? But it seems like there's a lot of um, exposure to breasts that goes on, you know, and that's it's nakedness. And, and I'm not even talking about full on, but even part. Cleavage can cause a guy, a man, to lust and to battle. We don't want to do that, right? So we just need to cover. We need to care. We need to love more them more than we love fashion or whatever. And you know what? It seems like it's everywhere. It's a normal part of our society, but we need to teach this to our daughters. And I don't mean starting at age 16. It's too late. (laughs) You start from the very, very beginning. But cleavage causes men to lust. Super short shorts cause men to lust. Tight. Okay, I'm glad you said it because I was gonna... <laughs> yoga pants. Okay, I know they are like really hot, but are you know popular. <laughs> but when but when we have like have the exposed, you know, and it's tight, and there is absolutely nothing left to an imagination. Guys are struggling with that. They just are. I'm sorry, they are. They're struggling with it. Skimpy swimsuits. Skimpy swimsuits. Yes. Yeah. Worn in public. Worn in public. Yeah. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> grocery store. Oh, my God. Let's just be careful. We, we're displaying, like I said, something way more glorious, you know. And so, but I want to start, or I want to say this right now. If you see me dressing immodestly, sisters, I need you to tell me. Just because I'm standing up here talking about this doesn't mean I have anything wired. I don't, but we need to help one another. 
But really, I mean, the question is, are we being seduced and are we being lured by the world's temptation to look more like the world? Are we loving and worshiping God by taking care to be purposeful in how we dress? You know, and I'm not talking about wearing like what my grandma wore, though I wish I could. I That would be so nice. But she wore like those gunny sacks. Like we call them, <laughs> we call them moo-moos, right? Yes, I love those. I lo- I'm going to have a few in my closet. Cool in summer. I'm not talking about that. Come on. You know, that, that isn't even real. That would be an extreme distraction. Be an ex- <laughs> right? Being dowdy or odd is not more spiritual. It's not. In fact, it can distract and it can put people's attention on us. I guarantee you, if I was wearing that, you guys would take a second look, right? We want our attention to be on the Lord. We want to aim for what's appropriate for us, for our budget, for the things we do, the places we go. You know, we can dress fashionably and modestly. It's challenging, certainly challenging, uh, especially when you get older. It's really hard to find clothes. <laughs> it's either moo or <laughs> so hard. But we need to be purposeful. We need to be purposeful. We need to be selective. We need to be creative. But it's worth it. It's worth persevering to find the things that enhance our ability to reflect Christ, not to distract from it. Modesty really is about conviction. What I wear relates to who and how I worship and how I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. So when shopping, we have to have intentionality. Ask others to help. I need your help, sisters. Let's help one another. I'm going to drop that wall now and just like... Help one another. So if you see anything immodest, please tell me. In closing, in closing, you know what? There there will always be cultural trends that shift and change. There'll always be loud voices. But we can take our cues and our definitions from scripture and not from the culture. And we can confidently trust in that. The word of God never changes. Without a doubt, in our mixed condition, we'll always have to guard and uh, battle against our self-will, our mindsets, and our own hearts. But I really hope that after today, you'll ask God, you know, where has worldly thinking seeped into my heart about this? Our lives are about bringing glory to Jesus Christ, and we do that as male and female in distinctive ways. That's why God created us male and female, to tell this great love story of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the bride, his church. Men and women point to that story in different ways as men and women. That's why it's so important that we know and we love and we embrace and we humbly bow And we teach it to the next generation. Let's pray. Father, you are our wise creator.
Father, we thank you that you are perfect and you have a beautiful plan for us. And uh, we know, Lord, that uh, the message of the cross and anything in your word is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we know it's the power of God. So, Lord, I pray that um, we would live remembering who we once were um, and live with compassion and understanding and that we would live fully uh, embracing who you have created us to be as women. Um, Lord, I pray that we would uh, live selflessly and sacrificially, laying down, uh, as you laid down your life for us, that we would love you. It's so worth it. It's so worth following you and loving you and loving your perfect design for us. I pray for the time that the women will have in discussion now that, uh, Lord, you would um, continue to work in their hearts and that it would be a sweet time together. Thank you for the privilege to be here. And may, um, Lord, may we just leave here walking more in a manner worth our calling. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.